Well, good evening. It's good to see each and every one of you again. As Brother Bob has already tell, uh, stated to us, we're uh, so thankful, so greatly privileged to be able to assemble in a time such as this and to worship God as we are able to do in both spirit and truth and to show our appreciation for his goodness that he shows to us each and every day. And I hope that we all are able to appreciate that and to understand that in the fullest. And hopefully we conduct our lives and have conducted ourselves in such a way this day that we have shown our thanksgiving to God by properly representing him, following the perfect example of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I don't know about you, but as I hear and read stories such as we've probably heard and read today, uh, the events that took place last night, it just, as, as, as we mourn and as we're saddened and as we're grieved, and of course our prayers go out to those who have been impacted by that, and hopefully I'm sure, I'm sure we all have been impacted by it if we have any kind of a conscience. But you know, it just helps me to appreciate the hope of heaven more. This world is a place that, yes, we have certain things that we enjoy here and are able to spend time with brethren and family and and all of those things and, and um, enjoy the things that God has created here on this earth. But I hope we do not ever lose sight of the glory that will be in heaven and desire that our, our eternal permanent place be here. Because that's not going to happen. But hopefully we are anxiously awaiting the coming of our Lord uh, and hoping that uh, God will be faithful to his promise as we know he will. As we've already studied that. And we will have that eternal home with him uh, forever in heaven. And so let us never lose sight of what we have beyond this life. Uh, I am so thankful this life is not it. Uh, Isn't it wonderful that we have a hope beyond here? If you will, turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55. The prophet Isaiah, and of course uh, Isaiah is... The prophet in the Old Testament that had the most to say about the Messiah, the Christ, as far as the Messianic prophecies that are instated. And, of course, Isaiah would be one who would warn the nation of Israel of their impending captivities. Uh, Of course, Judah would, would eventually go into captivity. And Isaiah warns both Israel and Judah about their unfaithfulness. And how they have not uh, been compliant to God's will. And And he warns them. And in Isaiah chapter 55, I want to begin in verse number 5. Isaiah something uh, says something I believe is extremely important, of course, in light of our lesson tonight, but just generally speaking, and something that we really need to, to pay close attention to, as all of God's word is. Behold, thou shalt eat the nations thou hast known not, and nations that knew not thee shall uh, run into thee because of the Lord thy God. And for the Holy One of Israel, for he hath glorified thee. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him. And to our God he will abundantly pardon For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and return not hither, 
but watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth and bud. It may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. God's ways and God's thoughts. As Isaiah said, are so much more than what we can even fathom. I, I really don't think we can fully appreciate how much God is more than we are. And as we uh, contemplate that and consider that, it is still amazing that we as humans, generally speaking, try to make God like us. Now, we were created in in his image, but through idolatry and the thoughts of men, most people create God in their image. In other words, the God that they desire, that's the God that they're going to create and serve. What they find pleasure in, their God is going to provide that pleasure. How they think their God is going to think that way. When we think about idolatry, it is amazing that idol gods had commandments. Understand, they're dumb. They can't speak. They were simply things crafted by, of course, Paul says man. Man's craftiness, rather, and, and his devices, and yet they could never give a command. So any command an idol God would utter would be one that men are uttering. And as you can see, the wickedness that I, uh, people practice as far as idol gods, you see the wickedness that was in the minds of people. Idol gods simply were a reflection of what people desired, wanted, and practiced. Now, having said those things, I want us, as we talked about yesterday or stated, I want us to 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 examine what the Bible says about evil and remembering what the prophet Isaiah said about we we are not God. Our, Our thoughts are not his thoughts. Our ways are not his ways. He is higher than we can even fathom. We ask the question, how do I understand evil? How do I understand evil? Now, when we think about evil, of course, we think about the events that happened last night and the person who initiated those events. Uh, we also think about people who are known in history as being diabolical, sociopaths, psychopaths. Those are the people that we normally would characterize or equate as being evil. People such as Nero, Adolf Hitler, Idi Amin, Pol Pot, you know, all these type of people, Jeffrey Dahmer, Ted Bundy. Those are evil and wicked people. But unless they fall into that category or have committed those type of things, most people don't consider what the Bible says about what evil truly is. And we want to examine that tonight. And I think hopefully we will be able to to get a better understanding as to the separation of God and the thoughts of man or thought, the thoughts of God and the thoughts of men and be able to, to, to see clearly what Isaiah is speaking of here. So how do I understand evil? How do I understand evil? Do I have the proper understanding of evil? Am I able to recognize evil? Am I able to avoid evil? Am I able to forsake it? And so as we look at that, I hope we'll consider those questions. Now, as we look more closely, there's four things I want to look at tonight more specifically. We can be evil in what we think. We can be evil in what we do. We can be evil in what we say. And believe it or not, we can be evil in what we believe. 
And so those four things, I hope, will give us a better understanding as to what God says is evil, and we will be able to respond appropriately. Now, we can be evil in what we think. There are two basic words that categorize the idea of evil in the Bible. One is evil in character. It really means a, a, a base element of one's thinking, one's thoughts. And that which is evil, another word is that which is evil, is that which is influenced or affects others in an adverse way. In an adverse way. For example, the Bible speaks of that which is evil, really, in certain instances, talking about calamity or, or things that are hard or adverse. Not necessarily morally evil or morally wicked. But now, what about what we think? Now, clearly, we know that we have all we, we've established the other day that we've been created in the image of God. Humanity has been created in God's image. So... How does man thus become evil? Well, man begins to think evil. Now, we can be evil in what we think. The proverbial writer said in Proverbs 23 and verse number 7, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, saith he to thee, but his heart is not with thee. In other words, you can't go by what people say. It's what they're thinking. It's what's in the heart that we need to pay attention to. Now, understand, the heart will manifest itself. But people can say things... And be thinking evil, uh, uh, thinking evil as they even speak those things that are quote unquote so good. And of course, that's what we need to have. Uh, we have to be mindful of that because many times we can say kind words, but our thoughts can be totally opposite of what we think, uh, what we're saying. We have to be careful in Proverbs chapter 27, and verse 19 and 20. Again, a proverbial writer, as in water, face reflects face. So a man's heart reveals the man. Hell and destruction are never full. So the eyes of a man are never satisfied. And that's why Jesus Christ had to say what he said about the lamp of the body is the eye. It's what we desire, what we covet, that we need to be mindful of. And so what we think is what we need to consider. Jesus said evil thoughts come from the heart. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 15. I'm sure we're all familiar with these uh, passages, but Jesus said evil literally comes from the heart. That's where it begins. Every wicked and evil thing that people do, think and say and believe comes from their hearts. In Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse number 18, our Lord would teach this in, in dealing with the traditionalism of the Jews and how those traditions had become more important in the word of God that have taken precedent over God's word. And they were literally practicing their traditions as if they were the commandments of God. Jesus said this to them, but those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart. And they defile the man. Of course, the question was, why did his disciples uh, not eat with washing hands? And so Jesus Christ responds, for out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murderers, adulter, uh, adulteries, rather, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. Now notice, evil thoughts, murders, fornication, adult, all these things come from the heart. So a man thinketh that he is. These are the things which defile the man, but to eat with unwashing hands defileth not a man. And so Jesus tells us that we have to 
deal with evil from its source, where it begins. It's in the heart. It's not just the actions, the things that took place today. It's not just what happened that's an indicator of how evil and wicked and heinous those things were. It's what he was thinking that caused what came from that. And that's what we have to be mindful of. God destroyed man because of man's evil thoughts. Look at Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 5. We uh, talked about this uh, Sunday. Why did God destroy humanity? Of course, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. What prompted God to say, it has repented me. It's made me sorrowful that I have made man. Well, in Genesis 6 and verse number 5, we find exactly what that is. The Bible tells us, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. Those, I believe, are the actions. But notice what he says. And that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was evil or only evil continually. And the things that were done came from what man thought. And it was so evil. So wicked, continually that God said, I am sorrowful that I made man. We also note in Matthew 24 and verse 38, Jesus Christ will uh, speak of, of what was said by Moses. In Luke chapter 17 and verse 27, we find the same thing. Notice with me, though, in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. Know what Peter says. As, as Peter relates back to the destruction uh, uh, by the flood, notice he says, And spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Now notice, that word ungodly here, I believe, is very interesting. It means this destitute of reverential awe toward God. Impious, You know, pious means that you're reverent. That's the idea of ungodly. It doesn't mean that they were all murderers and, and, and rapists. And, and of course, those things probably were included. But it was their attitude toward God that was the problem. And we wonder why there's so much evil and wickedness in the world. It's people's attitude toward God. They do not revere him. As a matter of fact, we've already noticed the Apostle Paul was saying in Romans 1, and we'll deal with that in just a moment. People make God like themselves, four-footed beasts and creeping things. And when you lose a regard for the Creator, you will not care for the creation. And that's what we see. Paul says in Romans 5 and verse number 6, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died. For the ungodly, the irreverent. You know, I, I really appreciate the Holy Spirit inspiring Paul to say the things that he said in Romans chapter 5. It was, a, it was quite an eye-opener to me to find out by God's word that I was an enemy of God. Now, I may have thought certain things and I, I know I didn't live right and all those various things. But, oh, no, no I'm, not, I'm not an enemy of God. I, I love God. But understand, anybody, anybody who is in an age of accountability... And has not yet obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul says is an enemy of God. Remember he previously said. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous. No not one. They've all gone out of the way. They've all become unprofitable. 
There's none, none righteous. No, no, not one. Shows us our need for Christ. So, we have to understand what evil truly is. Turn with me again in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 23. Won't read all these verses, but just want to note a few of them. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through verse... I'm, uh, uh, verse three, uh, 10 rather through 21. And again, we just noted, no, he says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Psalm 14, verse three, there is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher with their tongues. They have used deceit, the poison of aspas under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, destruction, and misery in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. And Paul goes on to describe all those who essentially are without God and of course without Christ. And I know people think, no, that's not me. I'm a good person. Beloved... Jesus is the only one who justifies us before God. We are only made righteous through him. Let nobody tonight leave this assembly believing that I can be good. I can be righteous without Jesus Christ. And even then, the only good that we are is the good that's in Jesus. Don't leave here thinking that you can be good on your own without Christ. Because you're good hard, you do good things. You'll go 10 miles to deliver a loaf of bread to a hungry person. All well and good. But if you're not doing it in the name of Christ, you're doing it to appease you. And not to please God. You cannot do right without Jesus. That's what Paul is talking about in Romans 7. The man who tries to be justified without Christ. Justified by the law. Paul said, you, this is a no-win situation. And that's for all of us. We are evil without Christ. People reject Christ. Why? Why do people reject Jesus? The Bible says because their deeds are evil. Now again, we're trying to understand evil and what the Bible says about evil. In John chapter 3, verse 18 through 21, our Lord says it. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name, literally in the authority of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, that his deeds should be reproved. When you reject the gospel, please understand it's because you don't want to come to life. You don't want your deeds to be reproved. No, no, no. I just don't know. And, and there's, there's this and my folks, my grandparents, my parents. You know, all, all these things that we put up as reasons why people reject the gospel. And the simplicity of it is they don't want their deeds reproved. They hate the life. And I'm talking about those who, who have heard the gospel and had opportunity to obey it. And yet they still reject it. And they say, well, I don't need it because I'm good. And oftentimes they'll use us as a justification too as Christians. I'm good and look at y'all. I'm better than y'all because look at how you're living. Look at how you're acting. And guys, that's a shame for us as Christians. But please know. 
God is not going to pardon anybody without Jesus Christ and say, yeah, those Christians in that uh, uh, locality were terrible folks. I'm going to let you. All right, don't you worry about it. You come on. No. The standard is the word of God. And people reject God for this reason. Do not be fooled. Don't say it's because of this and because of that. And, and those reasons may be a part of it. But clearly, the Bible teaches us that people hate the light. And they don't want their deeds to be made manifest. That wickedness, that evil that's in the heart. And again, we're defining evil by the scriptures. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, 10 through 13, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame. Even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret, but all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doeth make uh, doth rather make manifest is light. That goes right back to what Jesus said in John three eighteen through twenty. Now, when we normally talk about the unfruitful works of darkness. Don't lose, we'll play emphasis to the, the, the works of darkness, you know, satanic stuff and things that are done that are just sadistic and, 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 and sadomasochistic and all. No, no, unfruitful works. Don't lose sight of that word, that phrase. Unfruitful works of darkness. Anything that does not bring fruit to the glory of God is evil. Step out for a moment. I'm going to make a bold statement here, but I'm going to set forth to use the word of God to establish it. Some of my parents are in denominationalism. Some of the best people I know are in denominationalism. But you need to start reading your Bible a little bit. Problem with justifying people by our own standard, by our thoughts. We're letting people think that they're okay when they're not in the eyes of God. And then don't, I, I was there before you say, well, you don't know. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. We can not only be evil in what we think, but we can be evil in what we do. And I'm sure we all see the the agreement with that. We probably wouldn't have a problem with that. But remember, what we do comes from what we think. Okay, just don't, don't, don't lose sight of that. There were evil people, men and women in Scripture, both morally and ethically. We, and we, we, the, the Bible is full of those individuals, uh, Ahab and Jezebel. Well, you know, they they come probably to the forefront of our minds when we think about people who were evil, both male and female. Uh, In first Kings chapter 21 and verse 25, uh, the Bible tells us, but there was none like unto Ahab, which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord, whom Jezebel, his wife, stirred up. Oh, what a husband and wife team they were. Could you imagine living next door to them? Hope you didn't have a backyard they wanted. Wicked, evil. Matter of fact, 
who calls their sons Ahab and who names their daughters Jezebel. Even to this day, their very names are synonymous with wickedness and evil. What about Athaliah? For the sons of Athaliah, that wicked woman had broken up the house of God. I want you to think about it now. Uh, my wife and I are grandparents. Some of you are grandparents or even great-grandparents. Don't know if we have any great-great-grandparents in the audience, but that's possible. But I'll tell you, my grandchildren, you know, I love my children. I love my sons. I cherish my grandchildren. Uh, now, whatever person would do something to my children, there'd be a problem. But now, you, you, you do something to my grandchildren, now we see got a serious problem. But could you imagine a grandmother that would kill all of her grandchildren because she thirsts for power? <laughs> I, I, I think about a grandma who kills her grandchildren because she wants the throne. How wicked can you get? <laughs> I, can't, I can't even fathom that. But yet, the Apostle Paul talks about evil and wickedness. In Romans chapter 1, that you know what? Perhaps through exposure, we've become a little bit apathetic to how evil the things and the people are that Paul speaks of here in Romans 1. And and we're all familiar with the verse. We're going to read them anyway. In Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse number 21, remember, and and, and when you go back and you think about, you know, what what Paul said here, uh, yeah, you could even go back to a verse number 19. As a matter of fact, I say 18. Well, go. the thing about Romans is it's so connected. You know, you, it's hard to ring one verse without going to the verses that begin the whole book and going. It, it's just it's, it's, it's a perfect. Again, it's inspired. But when you talk about the need and nature of the gospel, the book of Romans is it. And it is so connected because really, when we start with verse 21, I'm almost inclined to go all the way to verse one and then all the way to chapter 16. <laughs> But nevertheless, for time's sake, we're not going to do that tonight. But in Romans chapter 1 verse 21, it says, Because that which they knew, uh, that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Now, Paul, I believe, is emphasizing the works in the, the heart of the Gentiles. Now, of course, in chapter 2 and chapter 3, he'll talk about the hypocrisy of the Jews. In other words, they all needed Jesus, both Jew and Gentile. Immorality, hypocrisy. And of course, the Jews, they weren't careful. They would be immoral themselves because of the idolatry that they would allow themselves to be exposed to as we go back to the Old Testament. But Paul says again, we're talking about that ungodly attitude going back to Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 5, that irreverent attitude. And that's what Paul is exposing here. That's what he's bringing out. Because that when they knew God, they didn't glorify him as God. But they became vain in their imaginations, that which they thought. And their foolish heart was dark. And notice in verse 22, Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man and to birds and to four-footed beasts and to creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts. There it is, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who was blessed forever. Amen. 
For this cause, God gave them up to vile affections. For even their women to change the natural use into that which was against nature itself. And likewise also, the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust, one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves the recompense of their error, which was meet. Notice how Paul describes men with men. That's as if that's deplorable. That's this, that's against nature. That's against creation. You know, the one thing you can say about adultery and fornication now, as sinful and as wrong and, and as God is going to judge, God will judge fornicators and adulterers. They will judge. The Hebrew writer tells us that in Hebrews 13, verse 4. Marriage is honorable among all, among all in the bed undefiled, but adulterers and fornicators, God will judge. Not if, possibly he will. But as wicked as that is, at least that is exercising a desire that is innately in man and in woman to at least be with the opposite sex. But Paul is describing homosexuality here as that which was against nature itself. Men with men. Women leaving a natural use. That guy, I mean, he, he described, and I, I know, and, and we're going to see here. No, no, he's not saying that that is the most deplorable sin that could ever exist. That is, but notice how Paul is describing homosexuality. Guys, it's not just a choice. It's not just a different way of life or an alternate lifestyle. It's evil. It's idolatry. It's creating a God that tells you. You don't have to worry about what the creator God has made you for. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which were not convenient or debased. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whispers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents. See, don't stop with homosexuality. We oftentimes do that in Romans 1. No, keep reading. Make me sick. I'm not going to do what you say. Who you? I mean, just because you're my mom and my dad, I don't care what you say. Remember, God ordained your parents to be authority over you. So when you reject that authority, you're rejecting what God Telling God. I know you think you're telling your parents, but you're telling God, I don't care what you ordained. Forget you. You don't run me. They don't run me. You don't run me. That happens quite a bit when I'm doing meetings. Excuse me for one minute. Some of y'all thought I was going to answer it, didn't you? I just want to make sure it's not losing my recording. And see, that, that, we have to understand that the order that God ordained 
is God ordained. And when we disregard any of the things that God has ordained, beloved, we fall into this category. No, you don't have to be a homosexual. You don't have to be an adulterer or fornicator to receive what Paul is saying here. And notice he goes on. He says, uh, without understanding, covenant breakers. Well, I'm just, you know, we're just not getting along. Now, I'm not going to get remarried. I'm just, I'm going to, you know, I just think we need a divorce. But now, of course, I'm not going to get remarried. Is the covenant broken when you remarried or when you divorce? Old Helen Nelson, probably for another day. But he goes on to say, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things, what things? Homosexuality. You already read it. No, that's not all we read. Those things are worthy of death. And not only those who do them, but those who have pleasure or consent to them being done. Hey, you know, I, uh, I may not be that, you know, I'm, you, you do you, I'll do it. Now, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with that, but hey, that, that's your life. I'm not going to judge you, that's your life. consenting to it. I'm not in agree. Yes, you are. Exactly. That's exactly what you're doing. And note this. The Bible says we ought to be speaking out against it. Speaking out against those things. Against them. Not just not speaking or, or uh, dealing with them. See, consent, you know, we oftentimes say, he who does nothing is consenting to all of it. And that, that's exactly what I believe Paul is saying here. We're supposed to speak out against those things. The gospel teaches against those things. So when we don't do that, we just, well, you know, I'm not high. We're not fulfilling our obligation that God has given. Again, Ephesians 5 and verse number 12. For this is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. And I do believe that that the emphasis could be sexual immorality, but you best believe it doesn't stop there. And so we can be evil in what we do and what we do is based on what we think. Now, I want you to consider this for a moment. We talked, we just looked at Romans one. And of course, I believe the emphasis there is the Gentiles and and all those idolatrous practices that they that they uh, were to incur and, and the things that came about. Uh, for them not having reverence for God. But, you know, what about those who were religious? Can they be evil? Can you be evil and be religious at the same time? Or does your religion, whatever it may be, override or exclude being evil? Well, notice what Jesus Christ said to the uh, Jewish generation, the Jews rather than generation of his day. Look at Matthew chapter 12. Notice what our Lord says. This is just powerful. What he says, and again, noting what the Bible says and not what I think the Bible ought to be saying. In Matthew chapter 12 and verse number 38, notice what Jesus said about evil and and wicked. Matthew chapter 12 and verse number 38. And certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered him saying, Master, we would see a sign for thee uh, from thee. And of course, he said previously, by thy words thou shalt be justified and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. And, And you know the context there. 
kingdom divided against itself can't stand. But so they ask him, you know, would you, we would see a sign from you. Show, show us, give, give us something to help us to, to believe who you are. And notice. But he answered and said unto them, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. And there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly of of the fish, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The resurrection. Death, burial, and the resurrection. That's your sign. And and you wonder, well, why would Jesus say that? I mean, you know, surely they should should have been given the liberty or the lead way to say, hey, you know, uh, help us believe who you are. But that's not uh, not what they were asking. And understand, they had witness to who Jesus was. He had done already at this time many signs and wonders and miracles. But even more important than that, they had the Old Testament scriptures that he was verifying and confirming by those signs, wonders, and miracles. And the things that he said, literally, God gave witness himself from heaven that this is my only begotten son in whom I'm well pleased. We find that they had ample evidence to believe who Jesus was. And Jesus said, a evil and adulterous, unfaithful generation seeks a sign. But this is the only sign you're going to get. Now note this. Isn't that what people do today? Aren't they seeking something other than the word of God to give them confirmation that Jesus is the son of God? How many of us have opened up our Bibles to help people see plain and clearly this is the son of God, but it's not enough. They want more. They want more. They want God, as we hear say, to act in their lives directly. They want something from uh, to come down from God, maybe a problem to be bes- uh, be solved miraculously or situation to be taken care of. They believe providentially, whatever it is, the word of God is not enough. It's not sufficient. I want more than that old Bible. You evil and adulterous generation. And by the way, we have far more. Than what that generation had. The Bible calls that evil. When you reject Jesus. Of course. You know you look at John. John had a question. But when Jesus Christ said. You go tell John this. The lame walk. Blind see. And the deaf hear. Isaiah chapter 61. Okay gotcha. Not only can be evil in what we think and what we do, we can be evil in what we say. And of course, the epitome of evil speech is the lie. The lie. That's the epitome of it. That, 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 that's, the, that's the creme de la creme of evil speech. And we see that lying is among the seven things that God hates in Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19. And note within that, the proverbial writer says, a lying tongue and a false witness who speaks lies. Those are the things he hates. He hates those things. And now we also know that there are three reasons, or I believe that there are three reasons why people lie. I believe to conceal or to evade the truth or because of pride. Either they are trying to conceal truth, they're trying to evade it, get as far away from it as possible, or it's because of pride. They want people to think they're more than what they are. 
or they do more than what they do. That's what we, we, we call lies exaggerations. They're lies. And we'll even tone down a lot by calling it a little white lie. Why is the white lie got a lot on I can't do a black lie. It's just a little white lie. A little white lie. Really? What, what is that? A little lie. Is there such a thing as a little lie? Well, in our understanding, in our thoughts, in our ways, it is. In God's, it is not. Lies are always a heart issue. That's what Jesus said going back to Matthew 15 and verse 19. They are always a heart issue. Every single time it's pride. Either people lie to gain something. You know, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. But also people lie to make themselves more than what they are. And so we have to be careful. You know, an unknown author once said this. He who were uh, he whose words don't agree with his private thoughts is as dateable as the gates of hell. That's a lie. You're a liar. You're a hypocrite. When you're going back to Proverbs 23. Oh, you look wonderful. Man, look at you. You look terrible. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe you even came out the house like that. Oh, but you, girl, you go. You look terrible. All right. Amen. Oh, I love you, brother. You just, I can't stand you. Get on my nerves. But, brother, Godspeed. God knows our hearts. We may only know what people do, but God knows what we think. And, of course, if we're not, if we are patient... What people think will come out. The world often believes that there, that a lie rather is more preferred and profitable than the truth. Again, lies of, of, of concern and care. I don't want to hurt people's feelings. And, and, and I believe, and, and I'm not trying to be mean here. But I believe Walmart on a Sunday morning and afternoon is full of people who are lied to. Somebody should tell them, why are you walking out of the house with that on? Or why are you, uh, sweetheart, are you serious? You cannot go outside like that. Lie to for the preservation of their feelings all the time. Guys, it's a lie. And, 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 and people need truth. You know, we even, when we think about more important things such as the gospel, we oftentimes will lie. And remember that lie could be not telling the truth. In other words, we're not telling all that needs to be said. Now, I know we may put that under the auspice of being crafty and wise and smart and intelligent, and showing wisdom, trying to give more opportunity. I don't want to move, lose my opportunities, brother. And we have an opportunity as we pray for God for opportunities to say what needs to be said. But we oftentimes lose sight of an, uh, an opportunity and we're not even guaranteed that we're going to see that person again. But we just don't want to hurt their feelings. We don't want to tell them that, hey, you're lost. You're like, oh, no, 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 that that'll that'll mess it all up. 
I know as a gospel preacher, and Bob may be able to attest to this, I'm sure he can. There's oftentimes people who we're protected from. You know. That, 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 that young lady who has a young man who's not a Christian that she's, that she's interested in, or, or vice versa. Well, hey, uh, you mind if I... No, no, no. I, I got it. I'm going to be studying with them. Well, you don't even basically know anything. What are you going to study with them for? No, I just don't want you to. Because you're going to run them off. By doing what? Telling them the truth. We find people doing that. Well, well your son, how about we talk to him? I, he's falling away and, and, and the elders, we want to, oh, well, no, no, we, we got it. We're, we're studying. Have y'all ever know how that word studying is used as a delay tactic? Y'all may not have noticed that, but oftentimes when people say we're studying, they're simply meaning we, we, we're delaying the inevitable. Now, if they're studying, they mean it. But it's been many times that that word is just used, eh, we're just not dealing. Why? It's false. It's false speech. And, and, and we have to take advantage of the opportunities that God gives us. You know, many worldly or secular writers have talked about the benefits of lies. You know, a lie is better than a hurtful truth, Meander said. A, a good lie is better than the truth, Proclus said. And notice Plato. He may lie who knows how to do it in a suitable time. There are certain religions that teach that it's okay to lie if it's going to benefit the religion. Islam teaches that, by the way. And don't let them tell you they don't. Okay? They do. It's lying. Lying is fine if it's to the infidel. A lie can be told even as one speaks truth. What about when Satan now Satan was tempting Jesus in the wilderness? Satan was quoting scripture. Now, he was misapplying the scripture. But I've heard people say, well, he wasn't misquoting. No, he wasn't misquoting the scriptures. We find people all the time using scriptures to manipulate, to lie. And they'll use those scriptures as a lie if you're not careful. What about, the Bible says, he that believeth in his baptized shall be saved. Well, the Bible says that we just simply have to believe on Jesus. Well, the Bible does say that, but the Bible says it's here. Well, we're saved by grace through faith. But you're trying to exclude what Paul says about baptism. The same Paul who was baptizing. Yes, but we're saved by, is that not utilizing the scriptures to lie and to deceive and to give a falsehood? Taking God's word and trying to pit it against itself. That's not going to get it. And God knows the result of a lie does not make it truth. Rahab, prime example in Joshua 2, verse 2 through 3. Yes, Rahab was justified by her works, but it wasn't her lie. It was the fact that she trusted God and hid the spies. Now, she lied about hiding. God didn't say God didn't commend her for that. But people believe, you know, situation ethics, the end justifies the means. What about Abraham in Genesis 12 and verses 12 through 17? What about in Genesis 20 verses 1 through 2? She's my sister. Now understand, Sarah was his half sister. But that was still a lie. Because the issue was, was that your wife. And because he gave what we refer to as a half truth, a half truth is a whole lie. 
You know, I used to be a police officer years ago, and people would give you half truth. Oh, uh, yeah, uh, were you at this location? Yeah, well, I was there. Yeah, I was there. I, oh, yeah, I was there. But then they'll exclude what they were doing while they were there. That's what I'm asking you. I'm not asking you all that other stuff. Our children are experts at it. They think they are anyway. Not divulging all the information. You know, Peter even denying the Lord. Well, if Peter hadn't denied the Lord and said he didn't know the Lord, how was he going to preach the gospel? Right? His ways are not our ways. Have to be careful. Speech rooted in presumption is evil. Guys, when we do not allow God to be the one who determines and dictates our life, if we forget that we're dependent upon him for all things, James says that's evil. Notice in James chapter 4 what he says about uh, what, what, what's considered evil. And again, we, we, we have to be mindful as Christians of how we are totally dependent upon God. In James chapter 4, and I'll begin in verse number 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Speak not evil one to another, brethren. He that speaketh evil to, of his brother, rather, judges his brother, uh, and judges his brother, rather, speaketh evil. Uh, speak of evil of the law and judges the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judges another? Go to now, ye say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this and do that. But now ye rejoice in your boasting, all such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And again, I believe the whole context here is that of opportunity. That of not doing what God commands us, given the opportunities that he gives us to do that. And being so presumptuous that we really think we hold our life in our hands. That is arrogance. And so many people, God, I don't, God does not guide my life. Arrogance. And when we have opportunity to do good that God gives us, and we're not dependent upon him, we too are acting in an evil way. Careless speech is evil, as we've already noted in Matthew 12, verse 31 and 37. Then finally, we can be evil in what we believe. Because what we believe is an indicator of what's in our heart. What's in our heart is an indicator of what we do as well as what we say. Belief, faith is the core to all that we've said. Now notice, faith, people have faith. We're going to believe in something. Now, whether it is believing in ourselves or humanity as a whole, whether it's believing in idolatrous gods, whatever the case may be, or it's believing in God. People or humanity believes in something. Even the atheist believes in nothing. He still has a system of faith. He is really just his own God. Everybody believes something. 
Cain, and then I want to end on this note, Cain was evil because of what he thought, did, said, and believed. Look at 1 John chapter 3 verse 11. 1 John chapter 3 and verse number 11. We talked about Cain Sunday, but I want to go back and revisit uh, revisit what John says about him. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse number Eleven thoughts going all all over the place. You notice in verse number eleven: For this is the message that ye heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one. Remember, we talked about the seed promise, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Watch this, because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. Now, wait a minute. What did Cain do that was evil? Cain offered the first fruits of the ground. No, that wasn't it. That was just misinformed or Cain was mistaken or, you know, Cain, Cain just was giving to God what he thought God might want. He was just giving his best. Now, his best may not be what God required, but he was just giving his best. Beloved, how do we understand evil? The Bible says that false worship is evil. It's evil. Because it's not acknowledging the true and living God, what that God wants. Instrumental music in worship is evil. It's not just a choice. It's evil. Not partaking of the Lord's Supper every first day of the week is evil. Because Jesus said, do it every first day of the week. And I die for you to remember that I did. Well, you know, no, we don't do it. That's evil. It's ungodly. Now, we may say that's harsh speech, brother. We can't speak like that. All right. Well, if Cain, the Bible calls him offering the first fruits of the ground. Understand, Cain gave what God created. God created the first fruits of the ground. Cain didn't make that himself. God made that. Cain was giving back to God what God made. How sincere is that, right? The Bible says it's evil. Because that's not what God asked for. We need to help people understand what God says is evil. This is a representation of how great God is and how less we are. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 22, the Apostle Paul said, abstain from every form of evil. In other words, evil manifests itself in different forms. We've noticed some of those tonight, but there are probably more outward representations of those very things that we're speaking of. But every form of evil we as Christians are to abstain from. It could be what we think. It can be what we do. It can be what we say. And beloved, it can be what we believe. Because if that belief is contrary to God's word, it's most certainly not righteous. It's evil. Thank God. He gives us all that we know. All that we need. All that pertains to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of his son, Jesus Christ. And so we have all that we need to be righteous and justified before God by his son and not be evil. If you're here today and you are not a child of God. 
If you're in a position to where, to where you can become a child of God, but you choose not to. Jesus said you're not doing that because you hate the light. You don't want your deeds, which are evil, to be made manifest. That's tragic. Because if you don't believe in Jesus, you are condemned already. That's what he said in John 3. The love that God has manifested to all men, you say, I don't need that. Do it on my own. I don't need the gospel. Or I'm going to obey the gospel my way. Don't nobody tell me what to do. I don't have to be baptized. What kind of foolishness? Well, here's what the Bible says. Well, I reject that. Have to be a Christian. Church of Christ ain't the only church. Everybody, other people got churches. And they just as good as y'all. No, no, we're not claiming to be good. We're just claiming to be faithful. Y'all the ones claiming to be good. But I'm here to tell you. And, and by the way, I was there too. Evil. Jesus purchased the church with his own blood. He died for it. How dare us reject it. So if you're here today and you believe that Jesus Christ is all that the Bible says he is. You're willing to repent of all that's contrary to God. Evil. Whatever form and fashion it comes in. And you're willing to confess him before men and be baptized for the remission of your sins. All those things past contrary to God are washed away. And you come up out of that water as a new creature in Christ. You're going to be added to the body, the church of Christ, the body of Christ. And you're going to have fellow believers who are going to love you, encourage you to be faithful throughout the remainder of your life. Because there is a hope that we all share as God's people. And that hope is heaven. And we all anticipate and expect to be there if we've done those things that we've just spoken of. And I'm going to tell you. Those brethren are going to help you get there and going to love you. And more importantly, that even if they all forsake you, Jesus says he'll never forsake you. So if you do that, you have God with you. And who would reject that? And as a child of God, if we need to make corrections, don't be deceived. Don't don't allow yourself to be lied to that you're okay when you're not. Make the necessary corrections. Make those things right that are wrong with God while God has given you opportunity, James 4. Don't be arrogant and boastful saying, I'll do it later, I'll do it tomorrow. You're not promised tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen tonight. Do what you have opportunity to do tonight as a child of God. We have plenty of brethren here that would be willing to help you in those endeavors as we stand and as we sing.